crop season is about to really start ramping up all over Washington State, certainly over here on the west side of Washington, also in the world of tree fruit and dairy and veggies and potatoes and wheat and a lot of dirt work already starting to happen over in eastern Washington. Welcome back to the Farming Show here on KGMI. Good morning to you on your Saturday. I'm Dylan Honkoop and uh, a new rule. Surprise, surprise. We're talking about rules here on the farming show uh, and a water rule. And you're thinking, oh boy, we talk about water all the time. Well, this is a different kind of water rule for farming. Joining me this morning uh, from the Washington Tree Fruit Association is their executive uh, director, John Devaney. Welcome to the program this morning, John. And this is this is about the Federal Food Safety Modernization Act and their new ag water rule. What is this ag water rule all about and, and how does it relate to food safety? Yeah, thanks, Dylan. This is a complicated question. It's been more than a decade since Congress passed the Food Safety Modernization Act that was setting new standards for food safety in fresh produce items uh, and food products. Uh, And they're still trying to figure out what some of these definitions should mean and what some of these procedures should look like. Uh, We had a lot of concerns uh, because the initial proposal that FDA had on how you would manage potential contaminants for fresh produce products coming in through agricultural water would be ongoing water testing requirements for all producers in perpetuity, essentially. So you would have to be doing a bunch of microbial tests and and benchmarking what the microbial load might be in your water sources on an ongoing basis and calculating those threshold numbers. That's a lot of added complexity and expense for producers indefinitely. Yeah, well, what are Um, all the sources of water, you know, various wells and and canals and different, you know, streams (laughs) potentially for where that water, because this is like what primarily irrigation water, probably in addition to water used in, in processing. Right. And so this is this is mostly dealing with what you'd use in the field uh, for irrigating your crop, and that is a potential vector of contaminants. And a lot of that was mm-hmm. driven by issues we've had with leafy greens uh, in, in other states. Yeah, I remember but, like you know, listeria a, contamination and in, in, you know, right. romaine lettuce and multiple scares with that. Exactly. And the idea is we, we need to get a handle on that risk. Well, the problem is making everyone do the exact same testing requirement when, in some cases, your your risk profile might be significantly different was the feedback that you know, the tree fruit industry and others were giving FDA. And, you know, good news is they're looking at revising that rule. And that's what this new proposal is, is rather than doing a testing requirement under the latest proposal, FDA would replace that with a risk assessment. So you'd have a little more work up front in assessing what kind of risks you have from your water source. Uh, but, you know, there's a significantly different risk profile for, you know, an enclosed piped irrigation system versus open canals that might have other agricultural or, or wildlife activities nearby that are a potential source of contamination. You know, there's also a lot of different risk profile for a drip irrigated, you know, cherry tree where the water is never touching the leaves or the fruit. It's just going directly into the root system right. versus a sprinkler system where you're going to have that water touch the fruit. So going through the process of, of assessing the risk uh, and potential science-based mitigation 
makes a lot more sense, uh, even though it is going to create some additional upfront work. Uh, the idea is that we, we hope this will result in less ongoing expense and testing requirements on into the future once you've assessed your level of risk. And as we learn more about food safety, you may potentially have other mitigation measures that can alter that that risk profile. Yeah, that makes my head hurt. And and several years ago, it wouldn't have phased me. Oh, I just test water. No big deal. Until I bought the house that I live in now, uh, which has a well and to buy it, I needed to have the water tested and I needed to pass that test. Um, I think uh, something, you know, ridiculously low, um, number of total coliform, I think is what we were testing for. And it took multiple tries and they say, well, any little thing can cause just enough contamination, you know, just a little bit of bacteria hanging out on the faucet that you draw the water from can throw this whole thing off. Is it the same kind of thing with this? And, and what are they testing for? Uh, you know, the process that I went through, I, I having to learn more about it than I ever wanted to know total coliform it was such a broad net essentially that they were casting that almost anything could trigger this yeah there are a lot of potential microbiologicals that the fda may be concerned about coliforms and listeria among them and that that you hit on one of the key questions is you know how do you accurately test the the selection and sampling um, is very dependent on maintaining a you know, a really rigorous testing uh, and sampling protocol, because if you mishandle that sample or if you put your hand in the water as you're sampling it and, you know, had just been cleaning up some trash from the site, you know, you've potentially contaminated your sample uh, with, you know, consequences for your, uh, for your food safety program. So that, that testing is not only expensive, but it has to be done exactly right and is a very rigorous process. So moving away from turning every farmer in the country into an amateur microbiologist <laughs> uh, to doing an assessment where you've, you've evaluated exactly how much risk is available. You know, there's some consulting that you might have to do if you think you have some risk, um, but that, that should reduce the amount of ongoing work and, and complexity that growers would have to deal with. And we can focus on the areas where there really are risks. Yeah, that's kind of my next question. What do you do when you do find, you know, a sample that doesn't quite pass? I, obviously, if you have a major contamination problem and you have contaminants of various, you know, um, microbiological sources that, you know, the samples off the charts, that's, that's one story. Um, but if you're just barely there and, and it's hard to say exactly where it came from, again, I'm asking these questions because I went through this process with my own private well for my home. You know, you hear things like total coliform. And so your brain goes to fecal coliform and then you think E. coli. And, and then when you talk to the experts, they're like, no, total coliform. I mean, it can be bacteria. Your body is full of this kind of stuff already. These aren't necessarily crazy harmful things, but is, is that enough to then say, well, sorry, you can't use that. Well, what's a farm going to do then? What kind of recourse do they have? They just got to keep testing until they get it clean enough, or, or what? Uh, what options are there? Right, and that's why the fo the change of focus from setting a threshold and monitoring, and then saying, "Well, you've got a problem now. What do you do about it?" Towards a risk assessment and mitigation approach, which is right. what FDA is proposing now, is a better way to go. You know, in the tree fruit world, for example, we have some available research that says, you know, if at, on a hot summer day in central Washington, if you've applied water that may have had a 
bacterial contaminant in it, but it's sitting on the surface of a piece of fruit in 100 degree weather <laughs> in the sun, you know, that, that tends to kill off bacteria. And over a, a period of days, you would have adequate die off that your risk would be back within safe thresholds. Uh, there are methods of purifying water for some crops in, in, for field use. Um, you know, there is retaining product in storage longer. Uh, there's studies on die off as product, you know, various produce products are in storage. So there are mitigation measures that exist in order to reduce any microbial load that might exist on a product that's grown outdoors under, you know, uh, natural conditions so that you're not bringing in enough, uh, you know, contaminants potentially on a fresh product that could potentially pose a health risk. Uh, and having this assessment and science-based means of mitigating that risk will really be a lot easier for growers to manage over the long term uh, than, than just doing a bunch of high-stakes, expensive tests that then tell you you've got a problem but not necessarily what to do about it. Right. Uh, but I'm thinking, you know, mitigation measures could maybe get expensive too. Again, we're talking with um, John Devaney. And, and John, I apologize, I misintroduced you earlier. He is the president of the Washington State Tree Fruit Association with us on the Farming Show here on KGMI this morning, uh, talking about the uh, Food Safety Modernization Act's new ag water uh, rule and, you know, I think about, well, you, you say, well, in some cases, maybe water could be purified. Well, how much does a system to purify irrigation water cost? You know, it have to be a massive system as compared to, I think people are familiar with, you know, home uh, size purification systems aren't cheap. Imagine if you're, you know, having to purify 200, 300 gallons a minute for, you know, watering a lot of acres at the same time from one water source. Uh, at the same time, I understand why this is needed because, as we talked about earlier, you know, there have been problems, not in fruit that I'm aware, but in leafy greens, like you mentioned, and other things where, you know, irrigation water ended up causing some kind of foodborne illness problem. Um, man, oh man, how do you, how do you balance that out? And, and when does it just become too crazy? How, how clean can we get our world? You know, uh, if you think about the fruit it, that yeah. is growing in a field in an orchard, there is bacteria everywhere. I think that's something we've learned through the pandemic too. There are bacteria, viruses, all that stuff is all around us all the time. You mentioned farmers becoming microbiologists. I think all of us have gotten a, a bit of a lesson in microbiology if we've been paying attention yeah. the last couple of years. It's like, at what point does this start to get little too far it, to become too cumbersome and too ridiculous to try to purify everything in our in our physical realm? Right. And I think that that's the advantage of the proposed rule that FDA has come out with, is they're not trying to set an unreasonable standard where everything must be... Uh, you know, completely pristine with no biological presence at all, nor are they anymore saying that there's a single testing regime that everyone must follow under all circumstances. It's, it's complex to do a risk assessment. You have to think through a lot of factors. You have to have conversations with the people upstream from you about what they're doing on their farms that might be affecting your water quality and how you might address that. But the, the advantage that we in agriculture always ask our regulators for of this approach is that it gives you different pathways to meet the goal, which is how do you have a low enough microbiological threshold there uh, in risk, 
that you are not going to be having uh, you know any dangers introduced into the food supply, that the risk has been mitigated. And, and, and allowing different methods to do that for yeah. different kinds of production systems uh, makes you have to think through that process, but it doesn't tell you this is the yeah. way you have to do it regardless of expense or whether it makes sense for your farm. Well, and that exercise in and of itself is probably good to the degree that people think, uh, you know, and, and producers are aware of everything in their system. And, and the spirit of this is what needs to, you know, be focused on, which is making sure our food is safe, that our food isn't making people inadvertently ill for, for any reason. I think it's important that we're having this conversation as well. And by the way, I'm Dylan Honkoop here on KGMI. If you're just joining us, this is The Farming Show, uh, talking with John Devaney, the president of the Washington State Tree Fruit Association. We have, you're thinking about this in terms of tree fruit, but certainly this applies to the berry crops um, that uh, I'm more familiar with out here in, in western Washington and that I grew up around. Um, but in implementing this and, and, and in doing this kind of testing again thankfully it's it makes sense and it, it is within real um, you know realistic parameters but it's a good conversation for us to have regardless for people to be aware a that food in this country is safe and regulators and producers and everyone else in the system goes to great lengths in many cases to make sure that foodborne illness and many other things aren't happening in our food system. Um, but then also to understand the, the pressure that farmers and orchardists are under constantly, because this is just one in a very long list of things that, that, uh, producers need to be concerned about, right? Like you mentioned wildlife earlier. Well, that's something, another thing that a lot of people probably aren't aware of. Farmers have to, um, whether it's for federal regulations or for gap certification or a long list of other certifications, have to document animal intrusions into their fields. And, you know, the list goes on and on and on. I mean, what am I missing here as, as far as all the things that, that producers have to have on their mind to make sure their food is safe? Yeah, a lot of it has to do with the characteristics of their crops, too. So, you know, a crop that grows on or adjacent to the ground versus a crop that grows up on a on a bush or on a tree and is away from the ground and potentially away from an irrigation water source. Uh, you know, the, there's a lot less risk if the plant is drawing up water, but it's not touching the fresh produce product itself versus where the water may come into contact with the, the product. Uh, if, you know, if you have a, an apple that has irrigation water on it, but is going to be outdoors in heat, for example, for several days before it's harvested and not further irrigated, the science says that there's a, a substantial reduction in, in, in die off of any, you know, biologicals on the surface of that, that piece of fruit. And that can vary significantly from crop to crop, uh, from how the water is applied, from what the qualities of the water are that you're using. You know, if you are, you know, drawing from a, a closed, uh, piped system where you're not having a lot of potential outside contamination coming in and, uh, the water source itself is, pretty closed off, that's pretty easy risk to manage. But if you have an open canal and there might be other activities going on nearby, you might have to think of other ways to mitigate that risk through you know, delayed application of water before harvest or, or other means or changing the way you're irrigating. I think that this is there's a lot of complexities, as you talked about, that growers will have to think about, but hopefully they'll then just have to think about it once uh, and, yeah. and act going forward versus creating an ongoing 
complicated testing requirement. Everyone absolutely wants to make sure that food is safe. And I think our record overall is very strong in that area. Washington produce is uh, and, and our agricultural products are extremely safe, uh, but we, we never want to have any bad outcomes. Yeah. Uh, and so taking additional steps to make sure that we've identified potential risks and mitigated them is, is important to do. What are you hearing from farmers about this? Are, are, are there any concerns? There were concerns about the, the requirement, just the, the previous requirement for an ongoing testing requirement and whether it would make sense, who would do it, how it would be done. Uh, proper testing and expenses are, you know, concerns for any producer. An ongoing permanent expense in a low-margin industry is always a source of discontent. Yeah. Uh, being able to do what is necessary and not do things that aren't necessary is has how farmers have stayed in business. Uh, and I think that this approach may may make a lot more sense. Uh, this, as I said, this is still ten more than ten years after the law was passed, and we're still wrangling over what the regulation should like. And so, I think that that is causing a lot of producers still a lot of headaches. That this uh, this legislation is so complex and is trying to address so many things that go on in in production agriculture outdoors, with so many variables involved. Uh, that it is it is hard to get our hands around. Uh, and I think we will be doing more education and discussion with regulators about how to adequately address food safety and fresh produce products that don't really have a kill step. You're eating the product after it's been rinsed and washed, but you know not sanitized in the way that a manufactured product might be. Uh, and that's healthy produce, but it does mean that uh, you have to be aware of what's going into the production process. And all, all of this, you know, with, again, and the, the pressure on producers and one more thing to follow, <laughs> it, it is, you know, sometimes, as you were just describing, sometimes it's not the regulations itself that end up being the problem. It's the uncertainty as they're still in development uh, that can cause as much problem. What am I going to be facing this year, next year, as far as the requirements on me and the, and the systems that I put in and the technology that I've invested in and will it be adequate? Um, that's a, a big part of the puzzle here in the, the regulatory regime in, in which we live. Um, John, is, is, I understand there's a comment period on this that's about to wrap up where, where the public and the farming community can weigh in. Right. And you can go to FDA's website for more information on how to comment. And I, I want you, since you were talking about the stress of, you know, what you might have to change, I want to emphasize that they're doing the comment period now and that there's not going to be any changes made for this year. Um, you know, you, you will not be expecting to see new requirements and the completion of a risk assessment process done this year. Uh, they're already 10 years into this law and they're still working through this regulatory process. And so they're taking their time, I, I think, to get it right. Um, and that means that there will be time to comment and then time to know what the requirements are and get into compliance with them and complete that assessment process if the, when the rule is finalized before you'd have to be taking any immediate action. What's going on in the orchards right now? Before I let you go, I, I things probably have to be starting to get busy. It's, there's a lot of beautiful blooms out there right now. <laughs> and then probably frost control to go along with that and protect oh, those always, blooms. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we have had a few cold nights this week here in central Washington. Yikes. Uh, it's always something in the world of farming. John Devaney, uh, president of the Washington State Tree Fruit Association with us here on the Farming Show on KGMI. John, thanks for time and thanks for everything you do uh, to help food production and farming here in Washington State. We appreciate it. Thank you, Dylan. Thanks for having me.